Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, timeless wisdom to enrich every day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, February 25th. When teaching or advising others, feel that you are only sharing with them your ideas, your knowledge, and your experience. Never be condescending or didactic. I had to look up the word didactic because even though it's a word that I've seen around a lot, when I actually tried to think about trying to talk to you about what that word might mean, I wasn't really sure. I had the general idea that I didn't want to be it, especially since he pairs it with condescending, so you kind of get the feeling this isn't such a good idea. But it has an actual, at least as Google tells us. Um, you know, before there was Google, you used to be able to have uh, conversations about objective facts, and nobody was able to um, assert final authority. I remember a specific experience years ago when we were in a, a foreign country and we were about to go to another town and long conversation about whether it was two or five kilometers away. <laughs> and we, could, we spent, you know, quite a long time trying to, different, different factions to determine whether it was two or five kilometers away. It was just an objective fact. Now, I mean, and I don't know whether to lament it or be happy about it, you can never have those kinds of pointless arguments about objective things. <laughs> Because before the issue has even settled itself, someone will Google it, and then you will have an authority, and then you will know. So, there I am, wanting to know what didactic means, and it's just a heartbeat away. So, didactic is instructing someone um, with, uh, with moral overtones, often in order to get them to do something that you want them to do by proving to them that your point of view is right. So it's very interesting. I, I have been on the receiving end of people being didactic, especially when people are trying to persuade you of moral rightness as if you needed to be instructed in moral rightness. I remember Swami Kriyananda on more than one occasion, people would, would conjure up spiritual principles if they wanted to argue their point of view, if their point of view was different than his. And uh, Swami would sometimes... Well, I would sometimes think more on his behalf, let me put it that way, that, you know, who taught you those moral principles? <laughs> because I'd be, be within our own community and somebody would tell me, you know, Swami ought to be doing this because after all, this is the philosophical point behind it. I would say, did you even know that philosophical point before you met Swamiji? Well, no, actually. Do you think he's ignorant of it? Do you think maybe we ought to try to think bigger and understand what his intention is? In my life with Swami Kriyananda, I followed with him the same policy that he followed with his guru. And with Master, he said, I followed Master unhesitatingly, which meant I knew who he was, I was committed to be his disciple, I trusted him, but never unquestioningly. And it's a very interesting balance. Unquestioningly means I have to be sincere. I have to understand. I'm not able to do it just because you said so. I can't suppress my own doubts. I can't suppress my own intelligence. I can't deny my own experience. I can't pretend 
to think that you're right if I don't understand why you are right. But to do to follow unhesitatingly means I know you must be right, but I don't understand why you are. And I call I called it with Swamiji, and it never I have to say, it never failed me. In in fifty years of knowing him, it never failed me. Which is I would do what I called reverse engineering. I would start from the premise that I may not know what he's doing, but I bet he does. So instead of just starting from the point of view of, I'm going to tell him what's right. How could you be asking us to do this when this is true and that's true? And I mean, believe me, unhesitatingly, I mean, unquestioningly was not my style. I had a lot of opinions and I had a lot of reactions. And by no means did everything he said make sense to me. A lot of times he did things I didn't understand at all or said things that I really wasn't sure about. But I always assumed that it was because I needed to understand more deeply either what those words meant or what he was trying to accomplish. And that's where I began to really begin to think about it. Swamiji was talking once in one context about how freely people, and he'll use the word judge, the behavior of souls more advanced than them. And, and he said something that always stayed with me. He said, um, you don't even, you, often you don't even know what the master is trying to accomplish. So you're in no position even to tell whether he's doing it right or not, because you don't even know where he's going. And the way I, I learned it with Swamiji was, I, um, later in my life I had the opportunity to appear on, occasionally on television shows, being interviewed Mostly when we published this cookbook, I actually traveled around and I cooked zucchini patties on a number of television stages over a course of about six weeks, you know, whenever that was. And sometime in the mid-80s, I was on a lecture tour and it was combined with a book tour, Simply Vegetarian, which is still an extremely good cookbook. Even all these decades later, it still stands and it's exactly what it is. It's Simply Vegetarian. Very good. Um, it's not vegan, and it's not low-calorie, but it's a very good cookbook. We were, we, at that time, we were trying to persuade people that vegetarianism was good, was tasty. So we did, were thinking mostly like that. But I, I, I learned first from television, and then later when I was involved in making a movie about Ananda, that what you see on the screen is so small compared to what's actually going on in the room. And the image, which I had already developed thinking about Swami, but saw so vividly, from my own experience, is I would often evaluate a situation from what the camera could see. Because the camera, something would come into the range of the camera, it would cross the range of the camera, then it would disappear. In the actual television studio, the individual was coming from somewhere else, had a character across the camera, walked out of camera range, and and still existed. In the movie, it was even more dramatic how, you know, how small the the camera range was. And so I realized that in many situations, I could only think about it when it came within the range of my mental camera. And as soon as it went out of my mental camera, I didn't know what was going on anymore. And I realized that Swami's perspective was of the whole room. He saw where it was coming from. He crossed the camera range. Then it went on and all the implications of it were there. So very often, the decisions he was making, the projects he was proposing, the solutions he represented, all of those things were simply based on a perspective 
that I was capable of acquiring, but even to acquire it, I had to at least consider that it might be there. So I would, I started, that's where I came up with the idea of reverse engineering, which is a phrase that means you start with the conclusion and then you try to figure out how they got there. So I would start with the fact that Swamiji had taken a certain stand or suggested a certain issue, and, and I, would, I, used, I applied two things. What is he actually trying to accomplish? Because I remembered what he said. Sometimes I think the objective is, for example, to have a, a business that's going to make a lot of money, and this doesn't look like it's going to make a lot of money. He might even say the objective is to have a business that's going to make a lot of money. But his actual objective is to give this devotee an opportunity to work out some karma. And he can't say, I'm going to give you a chance to work out some karma, because that doesn't really work. He just needs to open the door of opportunity so an individual can have the experiences they need in order to learn the things that they need to learn. And Swamiji often is not going to tell us that, because as he said, When someone, <clears throat> excuse me for a moment. <coughs> when Swamiji took someone to, when someone took Swamiji to task because of a certain uh, response he'd made to an individual, a man had had done something, and in a more public way than usual, Swami corrected him. Usually, Swami doesn't do that, but he did, just simply but definitely corrected the man. Afterwards, somebody took it upon himself to be didactic and condescending to Swamiji, to teach him that he shouldn't treat people like that. <laughs> it's like the, the wonderful expression which I love, which is called, duh, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. But so Swami's answer was, he said to this man, he said, to explain to you why I responded to him that way, I would have to tell you more about that man than you have any right to know. That was quite an answer, and that was also quite unusual for Swamiji to respond uh, so clearly. But it was just, Swami knew what he was doing because he could see the whole frame, whereas this other man just looked at what was in the camera angle and said, you shouldn't have behaved that way, and that was that. But it's didactic, and it's condescending, when, especially when the man himself is your spiritual teacher, and then all of a sudden you are trying to teach him. But that's just a dramatic example. It's like when people, you know, when, when it's your position and you have the opportunity to advise or to share with people, Swamiji says, be very, very careful and respect, respectful. When we were first, we, meaning those of us who have ended up in these more public roles with Ananda, back in the late 70s when we were all mostly in our early 20s or mid-20s, pushing 30 probably by that point, and he was helping us to find our, find our way into what for many of us has become our life work. Um, we went on this, uh, well, he was doing a big program in San Francisco, and as a prelude to that, we sent out five different groups of people to teach classes all over the San Francisco Bay Area. I don't need to explain the whole thing, but a lot of us got an opportunity. We went down, we went out in teams and went to different cities and went sequentially and just put on a really, actually really good program. It was really fun. Um, and a lot of us got to learn a lot of things. And for most of us, most of, most of us, um, 
most of those teaching, it didn't include me, had had very little experience outside of our community. So it was the first time they were really trying to teach this path of self-realization to individuals they, who had just come from their own homes, from their own jobs, from their own worlds, about whom we knew very little because it was just an evening class or a series of evening classes. And Swamiji started out by saying to us exactly this, you know, don't be condescending. He said, you may know more about some aspects of self-realization than they do, but you really don't know. You don't know who's in the room. He said, but many of these people will, be, will know much more about many subjects that you're completely ignorant on. Which is to say, everybody has something to teach you. You should treat everyone as if they have something to teach you. And you should never condescend. You just don't know who you're talking to. I was in a class, I was teaching a class in uh, Chennai, India, as, just as it happened. And one of the uh, people that I was meeting, he turned out to be known to other Ananda folk there, but I was new in the situation and I'd never met him before. He, uh, he was a brain surgeon. A very nice, humble, lovely man, but his work was brain surgery. And I, I knew that before I was teaching. And as I was sitting there, just giving the class, and he, was, he, was, he and his wife, they were just absolutely lovely. I kept thinking, oh my gosh, I would never, you know, how would I even begin to, to carry out this man's work? And I would think about just, you know, his daily, he goes to work, he goes into an operating room, he opens up somebody's head, he adjusts their brain. You know, it wasn't hard not to be condescending. I mean, it was, it was real easy not to be lecturing this man in any didactic way. It's like a person who's has the training and the courage to do that kind of work. I, I'm going to be very, I'm going to be very humble in the face of it. But we never know. And we also never know uh, what kind of greatness people have inside of them. You know, sometimes in the, in the military, Swamiji was saying once, they, they tried in every possible way to predict who would be courageous under fire, who would be heroic when, when heroism was needed. And Swami said, every effort to predict ended in absolute failure because you just don't know. You don't know who people are and you don't know what's in them, in them until the moment comes. So it's always safer to presume that you're in the company of saints and heroes. And then even if they happen to be interested in something that you have to say, you can offer it you know, with respect and gratitude and great humility that, that they would be interested in what you have to say. And then sharing it from that level, miracles can happen. So, Swami says, When teaching or advising others, feel that you are only sharing with them your ideas, your knowledge, and your experience. Never be condescending or didactic. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support ASHA, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.